Hi, welcome to this week's Future Insights Network podcast. Um, this week, our guest is Roddy Martin, who is a supply chain leader, consultant, industry innovator. Uh, Roddy, maybe the best thing would be for you to describe yourself and a bit about your career background and career story to this point today. Sure, good. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, so um, I've uh, been in the United States uh, since 1998. I was originally an executive with South African Breweries, which today is SAB Miller, uh, in both uh, manufacturing and supply chain strategy, as well as uh, engineering. Uh, I came to the United States, built the supply chain practice at what was AMR Research, is now Gartner, uh, then went, uh, was a partner at Accenture for four years, uh, worked for Oracle, uh, leading supply chain and marketing for, for two years, and did some consulting in between. So I've had a fairly wide berth of experience which actually has turned out to be quite beneficial because i i've been inside a lot of these organizations that we will talk to that are involved in different ways in uh, um in supply chain transformation yeah and you you sort of teed up a couple of key topics quite nicely there you know you and i spoke last week and um we we were kicking around some of the ideas around digital transformation and organizations fitness and preparedness to to capitalize or to embark on these seemingly quite profound changes and journeys so with manufacturing supply chain management kind of at the dawn of this new era with industry 4.0 and and so on how would you assess industry's place to deal with these big changes at the moment good place bad place yeah well you know let me let me start off by saying that uh, you know, if you Google a lot of the stuff that I write about, you'll see I talk about the five-stage maturity model, which Gartner used. I developed when when I started at AMR Research and Gartner, and and not to go into the model, but it's very relevant to the answer. Stage one is reacting to problems in the supply chain. Two is project-based improvement. Three is driving for functional excellence, like planning and logistics, manufacturing. Four is operating as an end-to-end supply chain, starting at the customer, and five is a value network, right? So if we take those five stages and you ask me, you know, how well is industry positioned to transform digitally? And I will say, well, given that uh, the average, um, as benchmarked by myself, I've done over 50 companies and and Gartner, the industry average is 2.4, which means that most companies are approaching supply chain performance improvement as a set of projects. Now, as you can imagine, the minute you introduced, uh, introduced you know, industry 4.0, you end up with a plethora of little projects around the business doing digital. And my really, my biggest concern is that companies won't necessarily uh, leverage the big benefit. They'll see incremental cost savings or incremental changes in work or you know uh, radicalized radically changed logistics practice but they're not going to see a whole new hundred times operating new operating model for a business like you see with amazon where amazon have fundamentally changed the whole paradigm of planning you know they more they know more about me than i think i know myself because i buy everything and increasingly more on amazon so now they're pushing things to me because they've made the connection that maybe I'll be interested in something. So the bottom line is, I think um, companies are stuck in two. 
Uh, I think it's largely a, a leadership perspective, a lot of traditional, you know, 50 year plus uh, um, leaders in supply chain still sitting in leadership positions. Yeah. Um, digital is brand new. It's unfortunately still a bit of a, a series of hobby projects. Uh, and I think that those companies like the hires of the world who really see digital as a platform to transform business will fundamentally change things. But they, as we said earlier, they're in the minority, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to take a new, almost a new generation of business leaders and supply chain leaders to really put, um, you know, digital capabilities in place that will transform a business by a thousand percent of what it was originally doing. And that's what companies are talking about. They're saying, we don't want a 10, 10x improvement, we want a thousand x improvement. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into that leadership question because you, you said a new generation of leaders. I mean, are you saying that the current generation of leaders can't change quickly or sufficiently enough? Um, well, is, it, is it that they it can't? Is it that they can't? Is it that they won't? Or is it that they're focused on other things? Or is it, is it an issue with the leadership today? I, I think it's a question of experience. It's also, you know, supply chain tends to be a very functional parochial environment. So you've got folks who've been in the business for 30 years and you're not going to suddenly see them change five years from retirement, fundamentally change the yeah. way they run supply chain. So I don't think it's that they can't. I don't think they know how to do it. And, and that's my, that's in fact my, my gripe is that with all the consultants and analysts and vendors in the world, we're not showing these folks how to do it. You know, you will see in, in uh, a lot of my writings and, and stuff on, on LinkedIn, I talk about path to digital. Mm -hmm. I mean, who's defined path to digital? You're going you're gonna to magically take your one and a half billion dollar SAP investment. You're going to introduce a whole lot of digital. Yeah. You're going to put in a cloud uh, not everything is available on the clouds. So you're going to run some on-premise stuff. You're going to run some uh, different vendors doing cloud-based solutions. That's a really complicated IT environment to manage going forward. And by the way, you still got to run the business. Well, so I just was just going to say, some of the big challenges that we get from our members are that they tell us, because we've been talking digital transformation for quite some time in Industry 4.0, and they say, yeah, that's great. We, you know, or yes, I want to do it, or yes, I know I have to do it, but how do I do that whilst running my business? And, right. how, and, and what's the how? Everyone says you should do it, but how does one do this? Well, so one of the, one of the most big ahas, and I, I got an interesting response on a LinkedIn comment I made when I said, you know, how many leaders have actually walked the supply chain from the customer back to supply? Yeah. yeah. Do they actually know all of the processes? So, so we're rushing around looking for all little widgets and IoT devices that we can see things faster. But has somebody actually walked the supply chain from the shelf or the place where a customer buys your product all the way back to supply and said, wow, why do we do planning like that? Mm -hmm. so, so I talk a lot about outside in. Look at the business from the outside in. Walk the supply chain. And you'll find, and I'm going to use the words Procter & Gamble use almost exactly, they'll say, you'll find problems you didn't even know existed. You'll find opportunities that you didn't even know existed. And that's, that's the key. Now, let's go back to your original question that started us going here, is how, how ready do we think you know, today's supply chain leaders are to adapting that change? Well, 
you're asking them to move from a supply-driven supply chain to a demand-driven supply chain when they've had nothing to do with customers yeah. and accounts. Yeah. I can remember going to a really big pharmaceutical company, a head of operations said to me, Roddy, you see that building over there? This was in Basel. That's the sales organization. I'm actually not welcome in that organization. Now, who drives demand? Well, sales and customers and patients. So unless supply chain and, and operations are working hand in glove with demand management, tracking social media, whatever, this is all, that's why I say, you know, my, my title, my, the thing that's in my head is who's connecting these dots. Absolutely. And, it, and you've got customer centricity at the heart of it, especially with the changing economy and the way that things are moving. We as customers are demanding far more. We have more of a say in how we want products delivered to us, how we want to interact with businesses. Yeah. So can these supply chain directors or will these supply chain directors learn to turn it on its head? Is yeah. it, what, what would be the best way to yeah. do it? Yeah, the signals they pick up are gonna change. They have to. Right, well, so let me give you a really great story and it, and it comes out of one of the, the, the publications. I've in fact worked with this team. Now, if you, if you Google Merck and Walmart share uh, supply chain information, you'll find the story and it's fascinating. So Merck and Walmart, that's the US Merck and Walmart. First of all, they share pollen data throughout the United States. They share weather data. They share inventory data. They track to see what people are saying about allergies on social media. And then they move inventories to make sure that, you know, because the weather in Boston has suddenly got warm ragweeds bursting, everybody's got hay fever and allergies, and, but we don't have enough Claritin. They will move and they have saved more than $10 million in stock. Now, that's the story I'm talking about. Yeah. Now, let's, let's have a look at that and let's, let's go and decompose that and say, you know, what's the challenge for a, a supply, traditional supply chain leader in that story? Well, number one, manufacturers don't sit and collaborate around inventory with retailers. The, the two of them, you know, they've only learning to do that now. They don't give each other visibility because they don't trust each other. The second, the second point is uh, supply chain leaders don't believe what they're going to read on social media. Why would I move my inventory based on what people are saying on Facebook? Heaven mm -hmm. forbid. Mm -hmm. so, so there are a lot of very traditional I don't even want to call them barriers, but I think there are a lot of breakthroughs that I think are much more akin to the newer generation of younger supply chain leaders than the folks who, you know, yeah. riding out their last five, six, seven, eight, nine years yeah. before they retire. Yeah. yeah but, but the thing is that the supply chain is moving so quickly. Eh? The economy is moving so quickly. Business models are moving so quickly. Those five or six or seven years yeah, could cost say. a business, could cost a business significantly if they don't change. Can they wait that long? Can they huge, that? huge. Well, I, I will tell you, and I can't mention the company's name, but a very big multi-billion dollar oh. consumer goods organization has re-engineered its planning organization from 6,000 people to 1,000. Now, let me tell you, that would put the fear of you know what into any supply chain leader. If you said, you're going to take 5,000 planners away, how am I going to manage planning across my end-to-end -end organization? And, and the point is a lot of it has been done because they've got the algorithms, they've got the insights, uh, they've built cloud-based visibility, they can do what-ifs and simulation analysis, stuff that supply chain leaders 10 years ago couldn't even think about doing. Yeah. So, so, the, so just one last point. Yeah. I think the, the real key issue is that supply chain 
in me just saying very tritely has moved from inside out to outside in. Inside out was driven by ERP, which is forecast to cash. Outside in is driven by tracking and monitoring real demand, which could come from social media insights. It could come from customers typing stuff in, leaving, you know, packages around because they don't like the way it's packaged or they don't like the price. So that's the outside in is now the voice of the customer is what drives the supply chain, not the voice of supply. Mm. So if you were, let's say you were going to design the sort of prototypical supply chain leader of the future, what, what would those skills and, and I don't necessarily mean like technical skills, but kind of maybe we're talking about emotional intelligence or social awareness or whatever, what kind of attributes, let's say, would, would make a good supply chain leader in this new era? Well, there's a, there's a lovely word uh, which you don't hear used in supply chain, but it's used, it's used in the healthcare industry called integrative, not integrated. So when you go to a doctor and you say, I got a headache, doctor doesn't say, well, here's a headache tablet. They first, okay, let's have a look at all the things that could possibly be causing here. So that's, so, so my, my first point was I want an integrative thinker. I want somebody who understands the business, and then I'm not saying they have to have a PhD in the business processes, yeah. but someone who knows how the business really works. Or I would interrupt technical. you there. Sorry, I would interrupt you there and say, not just has that, uh, but has the desire to learn that, to desire right. to know. Fair enough. Fair enough. Because, you know, you're talking about someone 35 years old, they may not have had the full experience of the end-to-end business, but they want to, they've got to have that passion to want to learn about how the end-to-end business works. Mm -hmm. And the second one is they've got to be strategic integrative thinkers. They've got to know how to connect the dots because what you've seen is, you know, companies will say, oh, I want to reduce costs. Let's whack in our ERP system. And then they go whack in the ERP system and they find out they just screwed up procurement. And then they go and say, well, let's take costs out of procurement. And then they screw up logistics because somebody messed around with all the, the three peels. So that's not integrative thinking. That's stage two project oriented functional excellence focused thinking. And, wow. and here's the irony of it. All of these companies will tell you, most of these companies will tell you, you know, the CEO says, well, you know, we're doing all these projects. All these projects are on time, on budget. But how come I can't see the business results changing? Because all of these projects are happening, you know, and I'm, I, I'm being a bit cruel by saying in isolation, but they're happening in silos. Yeah. And the business is not connecting the dots between all these projects. So they don't know when you screw around with manufacturing, you screw around with logistics, you screw around with customer service, and you don't connect those three you're probably going to impact something. Either you know, messing around with, with manufacturing and logistics is going to impact your customer service levels or just changing your customer service levels is going to throw manufacturing and logistics into a tailspin. Yeah. So let me, let me ask this. When, if, if we put this theory to most organizations that they, they're not as prepared or mature in their, in their supply chain operations as, as they think they are, would would they recognize that or or are they are they in denial or are yeah are they in denial are they burying their heads in the sand would they say actually we are we're ready for this journey or would they admit privately that they're not that's that's a fascinating uh, and that's a great tee up for a couple of points that i want to make so so the first the first comment that i would make was 
at a, at a supply chain event that I was uh, presented at in Amsterdam probably two months ago, I heard an executive stand up and say, you know, we thought we understood supply chain and then came digital, now we're all confused. Now, that's the most mind-blowing statement I've ever heard because digital didn't change the supply chain. It, it basically put a lot of pressure on the supply chain to make smarter decisions and make things more visible. So, so that's the first point I would make. The second point is, um, you know, companies like Gartner, and, and I, as I say, I was involved in the AMR research days in building that five-stage maturity model. I've built a big diagnostic. And there's quite a few of these diagnostics around, which, so what you do is you, and, and I've done this, by the way, with Schneider. You go into an organization, you assess their level of maturity, and you say, you know, you're a 2.4. So, you know, we understand that you're in project-based improvement. You're an industrial engineering-orientated organization. But we need to move you along thinking about the customer so that ultimately you can connect the dots to an end-to-end -end supply chain. Now, the leader of, uh, of Schneider is Annette Clayton. Annette Clayton was the head of supply chain for Dell. She was the head of supply chain for Schneider. She's now the CEO of Schneider. If you go and talk to Annette and the work she's done, you'll see she's generating the understanding and the mental model of what an end-to-end -end supply chain is at the leadership level, knowing full well that down in the trenches, folks are still operating in stage two, stage three projects right. and functions and all the classic engineering style organizational stuff. But what they're doing is they're painting the picture of the journey and the aspirations of the way they want the business to be able to behave in the future. So it's not, the point was, how do you know? Well, first of all, you've got to know where you are. And that really helps. And it's really amusing when I do these diagnostics because the leaders will say, oh, we're at a four. And, and people in the real trenches will say, well, I don't know what they're smoking because actually we're not even a one. Yeah. But, but you've got to get a realization from them that we are a stage two organization. Do you want to be a stage four organization and be customer driven? Yes. This is what that means. Here's what leaders have done to become customer focused. Again, uh, you know, P&G, uh, P&G's playbook is incredible. The CEO of P&G started their supply chain transformation probably 10 years ago when he did. He coined two moments of truth based on the fact that they found there were a billion dollars worth of stock outs of P&G. And he coined two expressions. He said, with two moments of truth in P&G. The first moment of truth is the product will always be on the shelf when we say it's on the shelf, when we've advertised and promoted it on the shelf. And second moment of truth, we understand why consumers choose and use our products. And you are not allowed to go fix number two until you fix number one. Because if I walk into a, into a, um, a Boots and I buy a tube of toothpaste, I don't want to buy the small tube because the big tubes were all sold out. That's not a demand signal. So let's make sure that the consumer gets off the shelf what they came in to buy off the shelf. And I, you know, I'm talking as, this, as if everybody's a, a consumer goods company, but yeah. this applies to chemicals, motor cars, yeah. car, uh, tractors, tanks, you, you name it. It's yeah. exactly the same argument. So the point is that these, these, the business leaders that really get it have some galvanizing stage four uh, reason for existence 
that they use to coach the organization in stage two as to what does it mean to be customer focused. Now, I work for South African breweries who went from number 27 in the world to number two just before uh, 2000. We taught filler operators on a packaging line. This is why you make sure that there isn't, um, you know, that you've got the right headspace in a bottle because you don't want oxygen. Otherwise, the beer goes bad. It won't last long on the shelf. So everybody in the business starts understanding why they're doing what, and it's all focused on quality and performance at the actual end customer. So in other words, driving customer centricity from the ground up, from the factory floor all the way up, as opposed to maybe some organizations are driving customer centricity, well, sorry, if they're driving customer centricity, it might be doing, they might be doing so at the C level or maybe at management level. Well, and what, you know, unfortunately, supply chain is very engineering operations dominated. Not unfortunately, it, it is what it, it is. is, right? So, so what is supply chain, what kind of metrics has supply chain grown up with in the past? Well, take 10% of my costs out every year. Make sure that we've leaned out and we're reducing cycle times for, you know, orders and blah, blah, all that good stuff. We have to think a little differently. In fact, the P&G CEOs to say, look, I don't care if you tell me that package or that, that batch left the manufacturing plant on Monday, uh, it was out of stock in a Walmart on Thursday. I don't care how that happened. I don't manufacturing. You may tell me it left when it was supposed to leave, but it's still out of stock, right? So the business starts to think customer back as an end-to-end -end operating model. And I, it sounds very sexy. It sounds very easy to grasp, but it's not easy because people have to change some of the fundamental uh, ways they're working. Yeah. It's not about asset utilization. Of course, asset utilization is important, but you don't as, uh, optimize your assets at the expense of customer service. You don't bring your customer, your, your, your logistics transportation costs down at the expense of customer service. You've got to know which trade-offs to make. And only when you look at the end-to-end -end business can you decide what are the acceptable trade-offs to make and what are the not acceptable trade-offs to make. And I'm interested in um, in the, the piece that technology can play uh, in this process. There's a lot of potential with technology to make improvements. Yeah, uh, and you've alluded to this already that, that it's kind of sitting in little pockets and pet projects. And you know, there's this concept of innovation theatre where you do one thing and everybody kind of gathers around and gazes on it in, in admiration if they're going to get to this point where they can use the technology, what are those first fundamental steps to do this backwards journey from the customer? What are the, what are the things that you see companies doing that work in this? In sure. This? Well, you've got to, first of all, you've got to have somebody who understands how the business works. You've got to literally go and walk the supply chain and look for the opportunities. So if you have a step in your fulfillment time that takes a day, and you say, my gosh, we could do this much faster if we had better visibility of customer and our own inventory, and all we would have to do is deploy a control tower. There's your first meaningful business value adding project is, how do we get better visibility using IoT? How do we get better analytics in terms of, you know, what our service levels look like and, and are, are we profitable with every one of our customers? So, so this is why, in my opinion, sales and operations planning, integrated business planning has become such an important part of every business because that's theoretically where all the dots get connected. The dots get connected there because A, 
I'm sitting looking at my customers and I'm saying, well, that's the demand. I'm looking at supply and saying, well, that's what I could deliver. I'm looking at finance to say, this is what I've promised the business in terms of the way we're going to grow. Now let's make a decision. And, and by the way, Samsung actually works like that. I've been to their SNOP meetings in, in uh, Seoul and Korea, where they have a weekly SNOP meeting for every single item. And it's led by the business unit president and the CFO. And you would say, wow, how on earth do they do that? Well, they're looking for two events. Are we going to meet the plan? If we can't meet the plan, what are we going to change? And if you're going to change something, who's going to take it away and go and change it, right? And that has to be the CFO and the business unit president because you're allocating resources. You're either going to make or you're not going to make your numbers and you don't want to have that as a surprise. And everybody who walks away from that table is absolutely committed to meeting the customer plan through uh, the supply network, remembering that Samsung uses Nokia, makes Nokia components, they make uh, 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 Sony TVs, so they don't just make Samsung stuff. So they've got to make their own trade-offs at the back end of the business. It also gives them accountability, you know, so in other words, and in, in, in again, top-down sort of uh, the idea of driving mindset within an organization. You know, going, going in, let's talk about technology for just a quick second. Uh, it seems as though there's, again, going back to what Tim was just saying about this, uh, what was it that you called it? The, uh, the innovation theater. Innovation theater. That sometimes companies invest in technology and see it as a silver bullet or a magic bullet and without necessarily fixing underlying processes within their business or connecting the dots, as you say, or even changing the mindset. Um, what are the risks and pitfalls of companies embracing digitization uh, industry 4.0 without, you know, really fixing those problems underneath? Well, I think what, what's going to happen is you're going to end up by spending a lot of money on little projects that uh, add incremental benefits to the business, but don't step change the performance of the business as a whole. That's the risk, right? Yeah. So there's many different ways you can introduce and innovate with digital technology. You can take people into these little, um, you know, incubation projects and, and stick them off on the side. That's fine as long as you know what to do with that project or with that technology or application. Once you've finished, how do you feed it back into the business? Now, here we go, connect the dots again, right? So you've just learned something in an incubation lab. Here's a piece of technology that can work. Now you're gonna take it across five or six or seven business units. Someone has to translate what that means into each of the business units. You've got to design it for a business unit. You've got to deploy it, manage the change. People think that just having an innovation lab is the, is the answer. No, that's an experiment. How do you take an experiment and internalize it um, into the actual business process? You've got to know the business process and you've got to know how to translate what you've just done into yeah. that business process. And you've got to make sure that it makes sense. You know, don't try and force fit technology into the business when actually that's a piece of, you know, um, it, it's a, it's incremental value, not a big step change opportunity, like taking planning from a thousand, from 6,000 people to 1,000 people. Yeah. And if you're a big global multi-region uh, manufacturer, let's say, <clears throat> you obviously can't make the assumption that all of your plants are starting from the same point. You're going to have legacy technologies varying from country to country or and people to issues yeah different skills different attitudes different cultural attitudes to change different appetites for implementing and working with and different resistance and yeah. geopolitical issues and etc yeah so it's not even if you identify a route from point a to point b 
not all the journeys around your organization start from point A. So you've got- added That's a fantastic, I'm so glad you made that point because there are a couple of companies that are very, very good at that. I know PNG is, but let me use another example. Uh, DuPont and SAB Miller. So if you, if you um, uh, went to SAB Miller and you asked them for a plot of performance of every single one of their uh, breweries around the world, so Latin America, Europe, North America, etc., and, and they measure two criteria. One is achieving a core business metric, like it could be water per liter of beer, which is a really important factor for the brewing industry or you know energy uh, energy utilized per liter of beer and then on the bottom side you've got the use of standard uh, the use of standard practices so what they do is they take that very same one page and they go measure every brewery in the world and they put it on that one page and i can actually let you have one of these because it was presented in a public domain now guess what you see a lot of the latin american breweries are up at the top right hand corner so they're very efficient in achieving the metrics and they're very good at using codified standardized practices. So you can go and learn from them. What do you see at the bottom left-hand corner? Uh, sites or countries that are not performing and they're also not using standardized practices. Guess what happens to the managers of those operations? They get fired, mm -hmm. right? So you, you will find that a business like SAB Miller that's able to put all of the performance of every one of their plants, the same applies to DuPont, and they can say, we accept that in Germany, the use of codified standards is slightly more mature than what it may be in you know, Latin America or in Africa, for example. But they can compensate for that. So they know what the level, relative level of maturity is across all of these geographies. And you're not chasing everybody for one goal. You're in fact chasing okay. Latin America to achieve what they can, Africa to achieve what they can, yeah. Europe to achieve what they can. And they have a center of excellence that actually tracks that on a continuous basis. And by the way, if they find sites and, and or geography that's in the bottom left-hand corner where they're not using standard practices and they're not delivering results, they'll get on an airplane with the CEO of, of DuPont and fly down and say, okay, what do you need us to do to help you fix this? Because if you don't fix it quickly, then something's going to happen. And and companies actually do it like this. P&G work like this. SAB Miller work like this. DuPont work like this. Cisco work like that, it's because they've got a codified way of working within reason. I'm not saying that you've got a, you know, a templated way of the, uh, of the way you do your business. Toyota works like this. Where do you think the, the Toyota production system comes from? They're, they've codified the way they operate. Therefore, you can have different parts of the world with different levels of maturity focusing on building different capabilities. And increasingly in the kind of global marketplace, globally connected organizations, these kind of super plays in certain sectors that's a, a fundamental requirement because you have to flex to the territory and the cultures that you're operating in there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all approach that's going to work from country to country continent to continent right and and you know to go back to your innovation question so when you when you have a one-eye scan map of all of your breweries or your production sites all over the world and you know what kind of innovation you've just incubated in an incubation center, guess what? You can look around the world and say, who would be the best geography to co-deploy this innovation? Is this a change to the way they've always worked? 
or is this new human resources practices or new skill practices? And maybe one geography is going to be better than another. So you can now design your deployment of innovation based on the different levels of maturity and capability around the globe. So we're drilling down into what needs to change and getting some sense of that. So what's going to make this change uh, and i'm looking sort of macro level across the economy we talked about the individual behaviors and leadership cultures that need to change but what's going to be the trigger and driver for wide-scale adoption of these principles is it going to be a kind of first mover advantage that's going to propel all the other organizations to try and catch up or is, is it, it going to be disruptive is it generational as well in other yeah. words like you said so you know younger people are going to come in and try to drive yeah. these sort of changes are we waiting for this generation yeah change? we're waiting for yeah. them i mean what is what is going to help these organizations evolve into the next phase well we all know that a burning platform is the is the best place to drive change right but it's unfortunately that often turns into crisis management rather than a strategic you know building of new capabilities but but nevertheless you know it, let's go back to the case of png you know i want to build the pn the png ceo said many years back he said you know i want more than 10 1 billion dollar brands and then they did the homework and they said, hmm, we've got a billion dollars worth of stock cuts across our brands. Do we want to build another brand or fix the problem? Well, you're going to fix the problem. And you're going to start off by making sure that whenever we say a product's on the shelf, it's on the shelf. Now, that's the point. So you have to find a real uh, galvanizing problem statement that means something to the business, going to force the business to do something differently. And, you know, that is different to every business. I mean, maybe I grow limes and mm. maybe I grow limes in Mexico and I got to take them through the Mexican border. And there's three days worth of delays every time I take a shipment of lime through the border. Well, there's my problem, right? Um, if, if, I, if, if people, shoppers go into stores and they find the products not there, even though they've seen a promotion, then that's my problem. I got to figure out how to fix it. And that's why, you know, going back to the point you asked earlier, what sort of leaders do we want? We want integrative thinkers. We don't want somebody who just comes in with a sales and marketing mindset or a manufacturing mindset or an R&D mindset. You've got to have all of the above within reason. I mean, we, you, know, you can't walk on, have everybody walk on water, but you've got to have a pretty solid understanding of how the business works and what, what the success or winning at a customer means. And then walk back and say, which are the pieces that we really need to fix? And if you find the right places to fix, you can turn that into the burning platform that really galvanizes action in the business. I mean, if you're asking people to solve problems that are marginally important, then guess what? Nobody gets massively excited. Mm. But if you, you know, uh, ask the business to solve a $1 billion stockout problem or Walmart beating us up because we're three days late with our orders because stuff gets stuck at the border. Or, uh, you know, we, we, um, we just suddenly lost a, a supplier of our components because we had a tidal wave in Japan. Uh, and now as a result of that, for the next six months, we can't build any products. Those are, those are the scenarios that we've got to learn from. And that's the scenario that, you know, leaders need to connect the dots across in order to say, well, let's go walk the supply chain and see what are all the possible things that could go wrong. And if we understand the business, then we're probably going to hone in on those things that mobilize the business. That's, that would be my bottom line statement is 
if you really want to drive change, mobilize the business around something that they care about. You know, well, SAB Miller went from 25 to two because they said we're going to be the lowest cost beer producers in the world. Guess what? P&G eliminated a billion dollars worth of stockouts by focusing on stockouts. It's different for every company. Roddy, what I was going to ask you is, um, it seems, I don't, I don't know how to say this, it seems like a pretty common sense, logical thing to do for a supply chain director to think, let's walk the supply chain backwards, let's see how things look from our customer perspective. Why do you think people don't? You know, I mean... Lovely question. And I promise you, I never gave you that question, right? <laughs> so the problem is, what, what do most people associate with supply chain? Procurement, yeah. manufacturing, logistics, um, planning. The, if you go into the leading companies like the P&Gs and the hires and Unilevers, they'll tell you our supply chain is the business operating model, right? So what is stopping people, companies from progressing? What, what is this? Why is it going so slowly? Well, it's the traditional interpretation of what supply chain is. And what I'm saying is real leaders change the mental model of supply chain and they get the, in the whole company to understand the supply chain is the business operating model. It goes from the customer all the way to supply. You as Mr. Sup Mr. or Mrs. Supply Chain Leader, you need to go and understand what happens in sales. You need to understand what happens in our contract manufacturers. You need to go and understand what happens in finance. So it's connecting the dots. Again, integrative connect the dot leaders who can actually walk the supply chain and meaningfully galvanize the business around the right priorities. And then also, if, if the supply chain leader is going to walk the supply chain, they need, to, they need to be doing the walk alongside somebody with that technical digital knowledge that can join the processes and the software. Well, see the opportunities like, together. Like you just Bingo. Said. What you don't want, and, and I've seen this happen in more organizations than not, and I'm not going to name any, but... Uh, where IT is walking the supply chain one day and the business is walking the supply chain on another day okay. and IT is looking for the IT opportunities and the business is saying, hey, we need to fix these processes. And they only come together when they say, oh, shucks, we could have coordinated this a bit better. Yeah, and that's so potentially that's, transformative if they get it right. Well, but that's also where you get your integrative thinker. You know, you really need to be... Exactly. You need to have there's some... A great, sorry, sorry yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there's a great study done by the London School of Economics in McKinsey. And, and it, it was done about uh, six years ago. I can actually let you have it. It's a cornerstone of all my slides. It shows that companies that only do um, IT interventions for efficiency get a 2% return on investment. Companies that do process interventions like Lean and Six Sigma and BPR, they get an 8% return. But companies who do it integratively get a 20% return on the investment, which means that every project has an IT component working with a business component. They work as one team. They don't work as two separate silos in one project. They work as one project. They're delivering one capability to the business. And at PNG, you can actually measure those projects and their contribution to what they call NOS, which is performance of the business. Mm. So if a chief supply chain officer is best friends with the CIO, they're a powerful combination. Bingo. They do things. And I've seen cases. I've actually seen cases where the CIO is the chief supply chain officer. Wow. Uh, interesting. 
And that may be one of the characteristics of the future supply chain leaders, by the way, is being not necessarily being a CIO in a deep technical sense, but being very IT savvy. Yeah. yeah. So someone who understands the business, understands what the end-to-end supply chain for the customer back looks like, understands the capability of technology, uh, and, and then knows when to activate the, the technology organization to say, hey, we got a problem with visibility, and I think you guys can help us solve it, and I'll solve it. I, I'll never forget, and again, you know, names shall stay out of this picture, but I went to see a head of supply chain for a very large global consumer company. And he asked me, Roddy, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm actually working with a control tower vendor. And he said, what's a control tower? And I said, well, a control tower is one of these vendors who can saddle over arch many different ERP systems and provide upstream and downstream visibility of the end-to-end supply chain. And he said, well, we've been trying to do that with our three-letter acronym uh, ERP system, and we can't get that right. So can you organize me to see one of these products? So, so that's not okay for me, right? Uh, so, yeah, where are these people, where they, you know, sticking their heads in the sand thinking that the world's going to pass them by? No, supply chain leaders have got to be out there. They've got to be savvy about what's actually happening in the world of technology, what are the, what's happening in the world of, of, of digitization. You know, I, I had somebody saying to me this morning, um, it was a press interview, and they said, uh, you know, one of their questions is, what AI should I buy? Well, what what chocolate do you want me to eat tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, let's get real. So once you understand the problem, categorize the problem. Is it an AI intelligence analytics problem? Is a IoT sensing problem? Is a is it a um, predictive analytics like an Amazon? So you know, you would expect a supply chain leader of the future to know the differences between all of these yeah. technology components, even at a high level. Yeah. So we've probably sketched out quite a well-rounded vision of a supply chain leader of the future. Really. This is uh, it's quite, feels like a lot of progress in terms of integrative, digitally savvy, emotionally intelligent, able to connect with other parts of the business, picking up signals from consumers, suppliers, you know, that 360 degree view of the entire value chain. Uh, it sounds it's an exciting role, even if they're not necessarily all fulfilling it at the moment. Uh, I think I think the the thing that I would ask is what advice would you give to supply chain leaders today, who are struggling with firefighting, uh, and you know the day to day on how they can pivot their mindset? Because we did talk about that if they don't do this, if they write out their next five to seven to nine years, the da- the damage could be quite dramatic. So what parting advice would you give to some of these people? Yeah, the, the damage may be that to them in a health sense because they're going to lose their minds. But, <laughs> but I think that the, the, the piece of advice I would do is get out to the demand side of the business and, and understand that side of the business that supply chain has traditionally not been that involved in. I mean, I can walk into an SNOP meeting and I can tell you whether it's supply chain driven or business driven. Supply chain, I'm making sure that there's piles of inventory and they say to sales, here it is, go sell it. Sales are saying, this is what the market needs. Manufacturing, can you go make that stuff, right? So mm-hmm. it's in the language. So what, a, what, an S, what a, a, a supply chain leader of the future needs to be able to do is to go out and familiarize himself or herself with the customer-facing side of the business. 
they, they generally know the supply side of business. That's where many of them have grown up. It's getting a comfort level on the demand side of the business, you know, getting comfortable with social media and analytics on, on you know, consumer insights. That's the new stuff for them. But that's where the sharp edge of the, you know, of the sword is. Fantastic. Really? Well, I think that's a, that's a, an exciting vision and a, and a challenge, I think, to set to the profession yeah. and to the leaders that are watching this is, you know, how many of those characteristics are they recognizing themselves? And how many do they need to go away and work on? I think we'll we'll maybe leave it there with that with that message for them. Um, Roddy, it's been it's been a really enjoyable conversation. I think we've we've covered some really interesting aspects of the current challenge and then the next phase of opportunity around uh, supply chain. So, thanks so much for joining us. Yes, thank you very much for uh, giving us all this uh, advice and wonderful insight. Let's we're waiting to see what uh, how we connect the dots. How people start to connect that. the dots. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's a pleasure. And let me make a parting shot at the vendor community. Okay. Because the vendors, the vendor community generally sells to the technology part of an organization. Yes. That's not the part of the organization that solves the problem. And, and vendors are very uncomfortable, generally speaking, sitting in front of business leaders and talking about their technology when I can't say, look at my screen, look what I can do. And the, and the business leader is saying, well, I don't even know what you're trying to show me. Right? Yeah. So the vendors are very guilty of this. And I think there's some big change needs to happen there as well. I've seen that for many, many years as well. And the reason for it, it boils down to the following, that most technology vendors are very comfortable with their technology, but very difficult. They have a difficult time making the business case for their technology. Yep, exactly. Good. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Thank you very much.